I would invite you to take your Bibles or turning in the bulletin uh, to our scripture reading. It is from Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. This was originally, uh, most Hebrew scholars believe, uh, was one psalm. And somewhere along the line, uh, the various editors of the, of the various translations decided to break it into two. There are different reasons why that may have happened. Uh, but you can tell it's one psalm, or it was initially designed to be one psalm, by a couple different things. One is that you'll notice that there's no title for Psalm 43. Uh, the, almost all of the ones in this section of the Psalter have some kind of a title, yet 43 doesn't because it fits with 42. And also you'll notice that chapter 42, uh, Psalm 42, verses 5 and 11, there's this refrain that we'll talk about. And it also shows up in Psalm 43, verse 5. It's the same refrain all the way through, uh, showing this flow, showing the theme is very much the same all the way through both of these psalms. So I would invite you to listen as I read to you Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. My salvation and my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing the psalmist who wrote these words so long ago to be honest. We thank you for the rawness of his honesty. I pray that you would minister to each of us as your spirit would take this portion of your word and press it deeply into our hearts and our minds. 
May we too be encouraged to be honest. But also, Father, help us, help us to learn how it is that we are to speak to you, how it is that we are to speak to our own souls and be reminded of your gospel, of your grace and of your faithfulness over and over and over again. We pray it in Jesus name. Amen. Well, as you know, we are doing a summer in the Psalms series. Uh, This book that we call the Psalms is uh, often referred to as the hymn book uh, of God's people. It's an inspired collection of of songs, of poems uh, of God's people in various ways, uh, singing to God, praising God, calling out to God. And it runs the gamut of human emotions. One commentator said this, the Psalms take believers by the hand and guide us in our communion with God through all the varied scenes of life. These are songs of the heart that God himself teaches us to sing songs of joy, pain, fear and faith in these inspired poems. We find the full range of human emotions laid bare before the heart of God in settings familiar to our own experiences. This wonderful collection of of the hymn book of God helps us to express the full range of human emotions that we experience. And they often call us to again, again, give our praise to God alone. Today we're looking at Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. And the theme that we see woven throughout these two psalms is the theme of spiritual dryness or spiritual depression, if you will. And this is talking about something that's different from what we call clinical depression or depression that's needing some kind of medical intervention, although they can sometimes be connected. But what this is referring to in Psalm 42 and 43 is a spiritual dryness, a feeling of being far from God. That, that, that our relationship with God has gone cold. That, that God feels distant from us. That our spirit, spiritual motivation to, to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbors as ourselves is, is at least not as it used to be. And sometimes it is almost completely gone in our perception of it. And it's really amazing how many... Well-known Christian leaders and pastors and writers have struggled with this kind of spiritual dryness or spiritual depression over the years. Martin Luther, Jonathan Edwards, George Whitfield, John Wesley, Charles Spurgeon, William Cooper, most of the Puritans, Oswald Chambers, and many others as well. And, and it's not just other historical people, it's also People that we read about in the Bible itself, there are a number of biblical authors who were very honest about how they struggled with this season, sometimes long seasons of spiritual dryness. We hear that from Moses. We hear that from Elijah and from Jonah and from Jeremiah and from the author of this particular psalm. It's also something that we know about in our own church family, is it not? We have a number of us that sometimes wrestle with this. In fact, I would say that most Christians experience some kind of spiritual dryness at their at some point in their life, if not for a long season in their life. And it makes sense if you think about it, 
Because as we live in this world that is broken and that is that is weighed down with the effects of sin, our sin and the sin of all, we have to navigate through this difficult waters of the brokenness of this world. Whether it's experiencing it in our own lives or it's experiencing it in the lives of our loved ones or those around us. And, it, and as, we, as we go along in, the life, in this life and we, we deal with these things, it can become very wearisome for us. It can, we can become tired. We can become worn out. We can be robbed of our joy. We can be robbed of good motivation to pursue a relationship with the Lord that is living and active. We need, we need to know, as God's people, we need to know how to deal with this. Either because we ourselves struggle or because we want to try to be helpful to our friends and family who struggle. And so thankfully, God in His providence has given us His inspired Word. And in the inspired Word of God, He gives us a picture of spiritual dryness. So what I want us to do today is to look and see what the psalmist tells us of what it is. Some ways that it comes about. And then some things that we can do to address it. So first of all, what is spiritual dryness? Now, before we dig in, I want us to get a little bit of the context. So if you look again at uh, chapter 42, Psalm 42, you'll notice in the, the title. And so if you're looking in your Bibles, you'll notice sometimes, uh, depending on what translation you have, there'll be a there'll be a title of the psalm. Uh, in my particular version, it's actually in bold. Why are you cast down on my soul? That's actually not part of the inspired text. But the next part actually is to the choir master, a maskeel of the sons of Korah. Now, we need to know a little bit about what that's speaking about. The sons of Korah, the sons of Korah who are uh, given uh, the responsibility of writing a number of the Psalms, were a clan of the Levites. Remember, the Levites were the priests and the temple workers. And in particular, the sons of Korah had three responsibilities. They, uh, on the first, were to oversee the music in the temple. That was their primary responsibility. But they also helped to keep the gates of the temple, and they also helped to guard the Ark of the Covenant. Now, we don't know specifically what's going on in the life of this psalmist that wrote this, this son of Korah. But for some reason, we know that he's been removed from the city of Jerusalem. He's been removed from the opportunity of going to the temple. You can see in verse 6, the end of verse 6, he references some very specific places. We know where some of those are. We don't know where all of them are. But, but in, in essence, we, we think that he's probably about 130 miles northeast of Jerusalem, somewhere in the Mount Hermon mountain range. And he's been cut off from God's people. He's been cut off from being able to worship in the temple and he's being surrounded by ungodly enemies. We don't know if it's because he's in exile. We don't know if it's because he moved there, whether he did it by choice or whether it was by uh, force that he was moved out of Jerusalem. But in the midst of that, this son of Korah is struggling with a spiritual discouragement, a spiritual dryness. Now, what is it? How, how does he describe it to us? Well, notice he gives us a picture of what he's talking about in verse 1, and then he describes it in verse 2. Verse 1 of chapter 42 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. So there's the picture, right? It's of an animal, a deer in this case, panting, desperately thirsty, looking for water. 
And as I was thinking about this, I, we have deer that come through our backyard all the time, but I've never seen a deer pant. But we have a dog. His name is Hutch. And when our dog goes on a long walk or a run during the summer, particularly, he comes home and he plops down on the, the kitchen floor and he is just panting hard. And eventually he'll get up and he'll go to his water dish and he'll get some water to drink. And he'll lay back down again. He'll pant hard and then he'll get up and he'll go to the water dish again. And that's, that's the picture that we're getting here of what the psalmist is saying that he is like. In fact, he goes on to be more specific about it in verse 2. My soul, he says, thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God, he says. He is thirsty. His, his spiritual mouth is dry. It's parched. He's desperately looking for communion with God. In fact, that's what he means when he says, when will I get to appear before God? Literally in the Hebrew that says, when will I get to come and see the face of God? Now, if you know anything about your Bibles, in particular the Old Testament, seeing the face of God, it... it, it, it it's an intimate picture. It's knowing God. It is Him knowing us. There's this communion, this fellowship. And the, the psalmist is longing for it. And yet he doesn't feel it. He doesn't have it. His, his personal relationship with God feels dry. He has lost a sense of the reality of the presence of God. He, he doesn't have a, of a sense of God near him and with him. He feels disconnected. There's a lack of joy. Perhaps a lack of purpose. He's even, in verse 9 you'll notice, he even wonders if God has completely left him, abandoned him, rejected him. Notice, before we move on here, there's no indication here in the Psalms that the psalmist has done anything wrong. There's no sense that he's repenting and God here is not calling him to repent. There's no sense that he's done anything wrong. And so before we move on to talk about some ways that this kind of thing comes to us, I want to pause for a second. and I want us to appreciate his honesty. The psalmist is being radically honest. One of the places in the Psalms where we see this raw, this rawness, his honest struggling. The Bible does not shy away from this. And God wanted us to know about this and to read about it because in his providence, he included it in the inspired word of God that we have even with us today. It's a reminder that it's okay to be honest when we feel like this. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to just put on a happy face. It's also a reminder not to force other people to try to pretend and to put on a happy face. So what are some things that he tells us about how this condition of spiritual dryness and discouragement and depression come? Now, this is not an exhaustive list by any means. And the things that the psalmist points out to us could be things that are the cause of his spiritual dryness, or they could also be some of the results of his spiritual dryness. But they're connected to it. The first one is being disconnected from God's people. Right? That's what he's saying in verses 4 and following. These things I remember, he says, as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, 
a multitude-keeping festival. So here he is, removed from Jerusalem, 130 miles away, somewhere up in a mountain range, and he recalls the times in the past when he had the responsibility of leading the people of God into the temple, perhaps during one of the feasts or festivals where they would come and celebrate and worship and, and fellowship with one another. And he's, he has these memories coming back to his mind. It's a reminder to us that when we're cut off from the people of God, we can become very spiritually dry, very spiritually discouraged. The Christian faith is not meant to be lived alone in isolation. God has, God has wired us as his people for the need of fellowship and worship. And when we aren't able to do that, especially if it's a long period of time, it can lead to spiritual dryness and discouragement. Now, this one hits home pretty close, doesn't it? And not just for any individual in particular, but for all of us together. And what we've been experiencing over the past five months, it's been incredibly difficult for the people of God. I heard somebody recently say that this is perhaps the very first time in the history of the world that all of God's people all at the same time around the world have been struggling in this way. This is one of the hardest aspects of these five months of the pandemic. And so you shouldn't be surprised if you're feeling a little bit spiritually dry. If you're feeling a little bit spiritually discouraged. And by the way, your pastors are not immune to this either. Even though we're back to having in-person services, it's still hard and it's going to be hard for a while. There are aspects of our services that are missing. There are people that are missing. One of the things that can bring about spiritual dryness is being disconnected from God's people. There's another one here in the passage, and that is just simply difficult circumstances. Certainly the psalmist was experiencing that. If you look at the end of verse 3, he references kind of in passing... Uh, these people, they uh, say to me all the day long, where is your God? And he says it again down in verses 9 and 10. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? And then down at the beginning of Psalm 43, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. Again, we don't know all of the details. We don't know the specifics. But what we do know is that this psalmist is enduring difficult circumstances, difficult people. He's being taunted. He's being, he's being mocked. He has people who are seeking to oppress him. Ungodly, deceitful, and unjust people, he references, are threatening him and seeking to oppress him. It's a reminder that simply having difficult life circumstances, having difficult people in our lives can bring us down. It can discourage us. In particular, when our lives are filled with those kinds of circumstances and those kinds of people. And in particular, when we when we marinate ourselves in those difficult circumstances and people, it can take a lot out of us spiritually. It can rob us of our joy and it can make us feel spiritually dry. Difficult circumstances. 
A third thing that he mentions here that perhaps causes him to be spiritually dry is difficulty eating and sleeping. Did you see what he said there at the beginning of verse 3? My tears have been my food day and night. He's not eating very well. His tears, his bitter, salty tears have been his food as he cries, as he weeps. And he's also not sleeping very well. His tears have been his food when? Day and night. It's just a reminder that we are physical beings. And our physical and our spiritual aspects of our lives are connected. And when the physical aspects of our lives are not going well, it can cause us spiritually to feel dry and discouraged and to feel down. When we don't take care of our bodies, when we're not eating well, when we're not sleeping enough, it can lead to spiritual problems. It's just a reminder that they're interconnected, our spiritual and our physical aspects of our being. So this is what it is, and this is some ways, there are some ways that the kind of spiritual dryness can come. But how can we deal with it? I want you to see that the psalmist gives us two ways in particular here in Psalm 42 and 43, that we can address these things, these feelings, these, these states of emotion that we find ourselves. The first one is that we, we need, when we, when we find ourselves in this place, we need to be speaking to God. We need to be talking to God. You can see that throughout the psalm where he, at some points he's talking to himself, but at other points he's very directly talking to God. He's, he, he's addressing his comments to God. And in particular, I want you to notice in verse 4 that he says that he pours out his soul. This is part of what it means to talk to God. This is what he means. He he pours out his soul. Now, the Hebrew word there for pour out sometimes is used to describe the shedding of one's blood. As I was thinking about that, the, the, the image that came to my mind was Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, where we're told that he prayed as if blood was coming out. There's a sense in which that's what it looks like to pour our hearts out, to pour our souls out to God. That's what this, the psalmist is doing. He is pouring his soul out to God. He didn't run away from God, even though he didn't sense the, the presence of God, even though he didn't sense that God was near him. He didn't run away from God. He poured out his soul to God. He genuinely opened himself up and he talked to God. He was honest, he was raw, and he expressed how he felt. Isn't that the opposite of what most of us do? When when we get to this place, the last thing we do is to go in prayer to God and pour out our soul to Him and tell Him honestly, maybe even in a raw way, how we're feeling. What we usually do is we stop going to church, we stop praying, we stop interacting with others, and we kind of close in on ourselves But the psalmist is showing us a different and a better way. That we go to God and we talk with Him and that we're we're honest with Him and we open up with Him. And notice, he doesn't just cry out to God. He also cries out for God. Did you see that in verse 2? My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God. He is, he is bearing his soul. He is pouring out his soul to God. Crying out for God. For the very presence. The very face of God. That's part of what it means to talk to God in the midst of these times. 
The psalmist does something else as he's talking to God in these verses. He confesses his belief. That's one of the things that I think makes these psalms so important is that this is not an unbeliever doing these things. This is someone who believes in God and he confesses the the one true God in a multitude of ways in these verses. He confesses the attributes of God. Look, look at some of these verses. Verse two, he he talks about God being the living God. He, he, He confesses that God is the one who is able to quench our thirst. That's who he is praying to. That is who he believes in. He also says in verse two, this is a God who allows us, who delights in us seeing his face. This is a personal God. This is a relational God. He he says that many times, does he not? My God, over and over again throughout the psalm, this is my God. This is the personal God, the God who calls us into relationship with himself. In verse 5 and 11 of Psalm 42 and in verse 5 of Psalm 43, he tells us, this is the God that I believe in who provides salvation for his people. This is the Redeemer God. Verse 6. As he's on the mountain somewhere out of Jerusalem, he recognizes that even then he can call out to God because God is everywhere. Even if he doesn't sense the presence of God, he knows that God can be addressed even if he's 130 miles away from Jerusalem. Verse 7, he says that this is the sovereign, all-powerful, omnipotent God. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Verse 8 This is the faithful, loving, gracious God. The God of loving kindness. Verse 9. This is our rock. Our God is our rock. He is our foundation. He is our stability. Part of what we need to do when we find ourselves spiritually dry is we need to speak to God. Not to go away from God, but to go to God and to speak to Him and to pour out our soul to Him. To not be afraid that God somehow is going to be offended by us crying out to him. We have inspired evidence that that's not the case. That we would pour out our souls and in the midst of that we would confess what it is we believe about him. second thing and a last thing that the psalmist gives us that we can do when we find ourselves in this place is not only to speak to God. We need to talk to ourselves. We need to speak to our own souls. You see that he does that several times throughout this psalm. Just the three that I'll point out right now is in verse 5. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? He does it again in verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And again at the end of Psalm 43, why are you cast down, O my soul? Over and over and over again, he's talking to himself. He's talking to his own heart. He's talking to his own soul. Charles Spurgeon referenced this. Someone who struggled significantly with spiritual dryness and depression. Spurgeon said, our faith needs to reason with our fears. Our hope needs to argue with our sorrows. We need to talk to ourselves. Sometimes we need to argue with ourselves. And notice when the psalmist did that, the words that he said to himself were not, you know, don't worry, be happy. It's all going to be okay or just buck up and get through it. That's not what he says to himself. What does he say? The psalmist reminds himself of truth. 
What he does is he preaches the word of God. He preaches the gospel of grace to his own heart. Isn't that what he's doing in verses 5, 11 and again in verse 5? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, my God. The psalmist isn't simply just listening to his sorrow. He's not just simply wallowing in his discouragement. He's not just staying in that place indefinitely. Rather, what he's doing is he's saying, now soul, listen to me. And he goes to the word of God and he goes to God's grace. What does he say to himself? He says, remember who God is. He recounts all of the attributes of God. We've just looked at those things. But there's something more here that helps us to see that he remembers who the one true God is. Now, it's a little hard to see in your English translations. The the Psalter, all of the Psalms, are divided up into five books. The first book are the first 41 Psalms. And in Psalm 1 through 41... Not exclusively, but almost exclusively when God's name is used, it's all in capital letters because it's the name Yahweh. When we move into book two of the Psalter, which is here in Psalm 42, through the rest of Psalm, uh, the, the second book of the Psalter, you'll notice that we don't see the capital Lord that often anymore. When we hear Lord, he is actually using the Hebrew word Elohim. And the word Elohim specifically addressed God as creator. And so what we see here is that he is remembering over and over and over again that God is Elohim. He is the creator God. He's reminding himself of the one who made him, of the one who created him in in the image of God and the one who delights over him. God knows him. God created him in his own image and he gave him dignity and he gave him purpose and he's reminding his own soul that. The God that I serve is Elohim. He is the creator God. Even when I think that God is distant from me, even when I am lacking joy, when I lack spiritual energy, God is there. He is the creator God. He has created me. He he has created me in his image. He cares and loves for me that much. He remembers who God is. But he also remembers God's grace. You see what he said in verse 8? By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. The word there in verse 8, steadfast love, is that wonderful little Hebrew word, chesed. It's a word that means loving kindness, unconditional love, unmerited grace. The psalmist is remembering God's faithfulness to his covenant promise to always love his people and to provide a redeemer for them. He's remembering back throughout redemptive history and seeing how God has faithfully loved and been gracious to his people over and over again. And I would go so far as to say that the psalmist is actually foreshadowing the coming of the Savior himself. 
I'm sure that he didn't understand exactly what it was he was writing and feeling. But notice what he says in verse 3 of Psalm 43. He calls on God to send his light and truth and to let them lead him. Now we know as God's people when Jesus came in John chapter 8, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And he also said in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life. In seed form, in in a foreshadowing way, he's even thinking about the coming of the Redeemer that God had promised to his people all the way back from Genesis chapter 3. The psalmist is thinking about God's faithful love and his unending grace. And notice what he says in verse 8. He was thinking about it. He was singing about it. He was praying about it over and over and over again. What does verse 8 say? By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night his song is within me a prayer to the God of my life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, think about this. We know Even more than the psalmist did. We know the one who truly thirsted. We know the one who experienced not just a feeling of God forsaking him. But of God actually forsaking him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried out on the cross. We know the one who was taunted and mocked and ridiculed by ungodly, deceitful and unjust enemies more than we will ever have to experience. And so when we are in times and in seasons of spiritual dryness and depression, we must come back again and again and again, as the psalmist says, to sing and to pray and to tell our souls about the grace and the loving kindness of God. We have to talk to our souls about it. Remind ourselves what is true. There's one last thing here that he gives us as a way to help in the midst of these these seasons of spiritual dryness. And that is to make use of the means of grace. When he says in verse 3 of Psalm 43, the light and the truth, it doesn't only point to the ultimate light and truth that was to come, Jesus. But it also refers to the word of God, the scriptures. The psalmist realized that he needed God's truth. He says to God, send your light and your truth and let them lead me. He knew that he needed the word of God. He needed to be led and to be guided and to be directed by the word of God. And notice in verse four, he says he knew he was going to get back to the temple, to the altar of God, to the praise and the worship of God's people. God has given us tools To use all of the time and especially in times of spiritual dryness. We call them the means of grace. The word of God. Prayer. Worship. Fellowship. We tend to do the very opposite with those tools than what God has intended for us to do with them. When we feel spiritually dry, what do we do? We cut ourselves off from those things. We stop reading the Bible. We stop praying. We stop fellowshipping. We stop going to corporate worship. And yet those are the very things that God gives us to aid us and to help us in the midst of our spiritual dryness. We need to make use of the means of grace. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a 20th century Welsh pastor. He's also a medical doctor and a Bible scholar. By most people's estimations, Dr. Lloyd-Jones was one of the most important and significant figures in the Christian faith certainly in Great Britain, but also here in the United States. 
At one point in his ministry, as he was preaching, he preached a series of 21 sermons on Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. Eventually, he turned those sermons into a book that's called Spiritual Depression. Now, the title's misleading. It's not really a book about depression, per se. It's more a book about living the Christian life in the midst of the broken world that we experience, in the midst of the hardships and the the disappointments and the discouragements and the dryness of life. How are we to navigate the reality of those things? Dr. Lloyd-Jones tells a story of a time that he was preaching back in his home country of Wales. He was given an opportunity to preach at this little small town. It was a country church. And as he went into this little church and he preached... After he preached his sermon, a number of the people of the congregation came up to him and they said, we'd really, we wonder if you'd be willing to speak with the schoolmaster of our town. The schoolmaster is is a wonderful Christian man. So much potential. He's so capable. And yet he seems imprisoned by his own discouragement and his spiritual dryness and spiritual depression. Would you go and speak with him? So Dr. Lloyd-Jones offered to go and sit down and speak with him. And he did. And as he did, he asked the man, tell me, tell me your life story. Tell me what you're about. And so the man sat across from Dr. Lloyd-Jones and he was hunched over and his brow was furrowed and sadness in his eyes. And he began to tell him the story. He said that when I was younger, I volunteered to serve in World War One. And I was assigned to be on a submarine. And we were taking our maiden voyage to sail out to the Dardanelles, which was a strategic area of water in kind of the northwest of Turkey area. He said, as we were going to the Dardanelles, our submarine got torpedoed. There was this massive explosion and the boat shook and down and down and down we went to the bottom of the ocean. And I've never been the same since. And then the man stopped and didn't say anything else. After a period of silence, Dr. Lloyd-Jones said, well, well, what happened? So the man kind of looked up again and he began to say the same story over again. I volunteered to be in World War One, and I was assigned to be on a submarine and we were sailing out to the Dardanelles and our boat was torpedoed and there's this massive explosion and the boat shook and we went down, down, down to the bottom of the ocean and I've never been the same since. Dr. Lloyd-Jones was again pretty perplexed and he said, well, okay, tell me the rest of the story. And again, he started again and tell him the same story. I volunteered World War One and a submarine torpedoed explosion boat shook down, down, down. We went and I've never been the same. This happened several more times with Dr. Lloyd-Jones going back and forth with him, trying to understand who is this man? What's the what's the end of this story? And eventually Dr. Lloyd-Jones lost his cool. He said, good night, man. You're not at the bottom of the ocean anymore. Another ship must have come and rescued you. You must have been taken to a hospital where you were treated and recovered. You eventually came back home and and now you're sitting in front of me as a schoolmaster in this town. You're not at the bottom of the ocean anymore. And Dr. Lloyd-Jones said the man sat up and he looked at Dr. Lloyd-Jones with amazement and tears in his eyes and he said... You're right. I'm not there anymore. But he had been living his life 
as if he was at the bottom of the ocean still. This Christian man had stopped talking to God. He had stopped talking to his own soul. He was physically, he was emotionally, he was spiritually living as if he was still at the bottom of the ocean. Now, how crazy is that, right? How silly is that? And yet, so often God's people are physically and emotionally, spiritually living like we're still at the bottom of the ocean. God calls us to speak to him, to pour out our souls to him. To confess our belief in Him. And He calls us to speak to our own souls. To remind ourselves who God is and what He has done. To to tell ourselves again and again and again about God's grace. His faithful, loving kindness. And to make use of the tools, the means of grace that God has given to us. And as we do that, God is at work through all of those things. To lift us, perhaps slowly, perhaps very slowly, out of those seasons of spiritual dryness once again. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this this man who wrote these words. We don't know him. Perhaps we'll never get to meet him. But he's your servant, and through him you caused him to write these words in such honesty. We thank you for that. I pray you administer to those who even right now are going through a season of spiritual dryness. I pray, Father, that you would give them a desire to speak to you, to pour their souls out without any kind of fear. And I pray, Father, that you would also give them the strength to to speak to their own souls and to tell their own souls what they know is true from your word. All of us, Father, help us to be reminded of your grace. And we pray, Father, that you would be at work in these things, causing us in the midst of spiritual dryness to give praise to you. We pray that you would use us even in those seasons. Use us, Father, for your glory and for the building up of your church and your kingdom. All these things we pray in our Savior's name, Jesus. Amen.